the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. The merge, which is a massive upgrade of the Ethereum network, has been compared in importance to the launch of Bitcoin. Is that really true? Why hasn't the price of Ethereum, or ETH as it is known, responded to this amazing news? Price is truth, as they say in the financial markets. And if that's the case, investors are being a tad cautious about the prospects for ETH post the merge. In this week's podcast, we explore why the merge is a big deal and how it could impact the future of finance on the planet. That's a big claim. Let's welcome back Brett Hope Robertson, Head of Investment at Revix, to get to the bottom of the merge and what it means. Hi, Brett. It's good to have you back on again. It's been a while, but let's uh, start with this merge and tell us, first of all, where does Ethereum fit into the crypto landscape and then why is the merge so important? Yeah, sure thing. Um, thanks so much for having me on again, Kieran. As you said, it's been quite a while. Um, so where Ethereum kind of fits into the you know crypto landscape, so to speak, is it's the second biggest cryptocurrency um, obviously in the world. And it's quite different from that of, you know, your Bitcoin, which is meant to be the store of value, this digital gold, so to speak. Whereas Ethereum is trying to just be this general purpose blockchain, which is basically saying that it's trying to be the software company of the world, right? Anyone can kind of come onto it, uh, build these things for decentralized applications, which are basically like your normal applications you have on your iOS or your Android phone, um, like your Facebook app or whatever it is. But these, instead of being built on a centralized iOS system or Apple centralized system, so to speak, it's built on a blockchain like Ethereum. And that's kind of what it's trying to be, right? It's trying to take on this game. Now, where the merge kind of falls into this, look, I'm, I'm going to try and not get too technical on this merge, but basically what Ethereum is trying to do is it's trying to transition the process called a proof of work consensus mechanism to a proof of stake consensus mechanism. And I know for a couple of listeners, they might say, well, what's proof of work? What's proof of stake? What does even consensus mechanism even mean, right? And it's completely understandable. These are really complex text, tech terms um, that, you know, many people kind of goes over their heads. So I'll just break down quickly what these three different things are so we can kind of understand what, what the merge actually means, right? So a consensus mechanism is just a fancy tech way of saying a process in which a blockchain agrees so ethereum is basically trying to change the process in which its, its network uh, agrees that transactions are valid and can be added to its blockchain and there are two main types of consensus mechanisms this is your proof of work and your proof of stake now without diving into the details you know proof of work basically just uses these super complex specialized um, computers that basically have to go out and solve this math equation to prove that work has been done, hence proof of work. And by doing this work, it basically signals out to the blockchain that you can get into an agreement that these transactions are valid and can be added. Now, it's it's quite energy intensive. Um, and there's a thing called proof of stake, which kind of came around, which is a bit different. Now, proof of stake kind of relies on exactly that, a stake being put up. So any people or validators, as we call them, can put up a certain amount of ETH, which allows them to be able to verify these blocks of transactions and add them to the network. And the idea being that, you know, it's kind of like buying a share in a company, right? You, you wouldn't want that company to fail because you have a vested interest in it. So the stake that you put up into the Ethereum network 
make sure you act in a trustworthy manner. Because if you don't and you approve a transaction that's fraudulent, first of all, the, the company you've technically invested in kind of acts badly and it could go under. And second of all, if the network finds out, they take away your stake or remove your share, which is 32 ETH. So it's, it's quite a chunk, right? And there's a lot of benefits that come with proof of work versus proof of stake. Um, but basically, proof of stake kind of allows for a lot lower energy usage, um, a lower inflation rate, and in ETH's case, a lower selling pressure of ETH. But, you know, back to the merge, now that we kind of understand these mechanisms, is basically I like to use the analogy, you know, the, the merge is like Ethereum is this petrol car driving down a highway, and the merge basically aims to just take out its current petrol engine, which is this proof of work system, very heavy, intensive system, and replace it with an electrical engine, which is this proof of stake kind of slick, greener, greener option. But the catch is they've got to kind of do this transition on this highway without stopping the car. So it's, it's quite a feat. Um, it's kind of been represented as probably the biggest upgrade in cryptocurrency history. And on Thursday last week, it was successful where Ethereum was very successful in changing that engine over to this electrical engine. And we are currently now up and running on the proof of stake system with Ethereum. So that's kind of the, the gist of all the kind of moving parts and what kind of happened on Thursday. Okay. Satoshi Nakamoto developed Bitcoin primarily to solve one of the key problems that he saw in the existing financial landscape, and that was inflation. One of the things that the Emerge is going to do is going to drop the rate of inflation for Ethereum. Now, just to recap here, Bitcoin will only ever have 21 million coins in issue. So that is hardwired into the Bitcoin DNA, so to speak. So you can't inflate that beyond 21 million coins. Ethereum inflation has been going at the rate of about 4.2% a year. That now drops to 0.2% a year. That's quite a big deal. And that should excite people who are fascinated by this idea of Ethereum perhaps being the network, the foundation of a new financial system. But it's not reflected in the Ethereum price just yet. In fact, we've seen the price of Ethereum dropping over the last couple of weeks. What's your take on that? Should we be expecting a resurgence in the Ethereum price of the excitement of the merge? Will that be reflected in price in any time soon? Um, yeah. So, I mean, first of all, exactly that. This, this transition from proof of work to proof of stake has reduced Ethereum's inflation dramatically, right? So Ethereum actually, under proof of work, used to print 5.5 million ETH per year. It's dropped down to 600,000 ETH per year. Now, that's a 90% reduction in printing right, or issuing of these tokens. Now, this printing was kind of due under proof of work because, you know, they had miners to pay and these miners are running really costly machines. So they needed to pay them a lot to kind of break even. But now with proof of stake, there's no more miners. There's just validators. So they can print a lot less and it's a lot less energy intensive. So hence, you don't have to pay out as much. And this reduction in, you know, inflation does kind of two things. One, it makes ETH a lot more scarce. So, you know, this adds like a scarcity value, kind of like a Bitcoin, as you said, only 21 million tokens. This kind of adds that scarcity value to it. And two, as you said, it's at 0.2 at the moment, but it actually is very possible this becomes a deflationary asset. Now, we've kind of seen over the last few years what excessive money printing and inflation has been doing to the world. So to have an asset that does pretty much the exact opposite of that, could be hugely positive for you know, Ethereum's price going forward. I mean, if you just take Economics 101 here and you go, well, if I reduce supply, hence deflationary, and keep demand the same, price does tend to go up, right? But we have seen the sell-off 
Um, and I think that's pretty natural, especially in financial markets. You know, you have this buy the rumor, sell the fact um, scenario. So I think a lot of traders traded up, bought Ethereum into this merge. Once it was successful, the fact was realized and they, they took their profits and walked. Um, I still think that does nothing to the underlying value of ETH. I think this, this asset is going to completely change how people view it, right? It could become this deflationary hedge. It could become the store of value now because its underlying mechanics have, have fundamentally changed. So, yeah, there's this sell-off. Um, I think it was kind of expected. As we said, it's a very prominent thing in a market to do. I still think underlying the case for Ethereum going forward is way more positive than it was a couple of weeks ago. Interesting. There are skeptics, though, who doubt that the merge will succeed and that the technology upgrade leaves it prone to control by big players, much like the JP Morgans and Goldman Sachs of the world came to dominate banking. And through control of capital and leverage, basically. What's your feeling about that? Is, does this leave it open to control by, by big players? And are we going to end up with a very concentrated, centralized control of the network? Yeah, so this is one of the big concerns, right, as you've cited. Um, and we've kind of seen issues of the centralization already. Um, I mean, I think, I think the first 1,000 blocks verified on this proof-of-stake system, now 40% of them were verified by two players, yeah, by Lido and Coinbase. So you've seen this kind of massive centralization, so to speak. And yes, it's a concern, but this is kind of also expected, especially in the beginning of like this transition, right? You have decentralized systems that, you know, you need a lot of technological know-how to kind of become a validator or to, to become one of these miners and other systems. And that kind of keeps a lot of your everyday people out. And then hence why your Coinbase's and your Lido's who make it easy for everyday people, they go set up the tech for you. They kind of go through that, that route. But Ethereum is addressing this by, more, especially more than other cryptos, by making, you know, becoming a validator really accessible to, you know, not really having to have this technical know-how, being able to run it off a laptop instead of running these complex computers. So I think in time it will get there and we will see a flood of people coming to validate themselves rather than use a Coinbase or a LIDAR. But I think just over the merge, there was a lot of hesitancy of how do I upgrade this validator to make sure that it's working correctly. I'd rather just go with a third party for now. Um, and the reason LIDAR is so big is because, you know, LIDAR technically allows you to use your staked ETH. So when you put up your 32 ETH, it's pretty much locked away. LIDAR kind of issues you a token and says, hey, you can go use this. So it gives you flexibility to not be stuck into a contract. I think once Ethereum opens up or unlocks its staked ETH, allowing people to pull out of their, their nodes um, or validators, that kind of attraction to LIDAR will disappear. And so, yes, in closing, I think it is a bit of an issue at the moment. I think as time goes on, people will pull away from a LIDAR, pull away from a Coinbase because it's so easy for them to do themselves. And then they still get to hold on to the asset themselves. Instead of, you know, we've kind of seen what happens when you put capital with third parties, uh, your three arrows capital, et cetera. I think people are starting to weigh up that um, custodianship or self-custody more than, than we think. And I think it was just basically over this merge, people were a bit confused as to how it all worked. But once it's kind of gone through now and, and people start to see that it's, everything's up and running and working, I think we'll see a lot more individuals deciding to validate themselves and going through your your Coinbase's and your and your Lido's. So I do think this eases off.
and not that much of a concern going forward. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned uh, three arrows capital. And of course, this hasn't been a good year for cryptos with the collapse of Terra Luna, Celsius, Voyager, and three arrows capital. Uh, where do we stand in the crypto cycle? And, you know, Ethereum does have the potential to to change the direction of interest, if you like, in the crypto market generally, because decentralized finance is one of the great attractions of crypto, where people are able to stake their coins, in other words, earn interest on them. And that has been fascinating, because you've seen people able to stake their coins and earn 10% a year, for example. Terra Luna was 20%, which many people realized is unsustainable. But you go to PancakeSwap and some of these other decentralized uh, platforms, and you can be earning much, much higher rates than that. Where Where's the future of this going? And, and how critical is Ethereum to that? Yeah, so I mean, that's a, it's a great question. And look, I think there's a couple of parts to this. I mean, you asked, where do you think we stand in this cycle in general? It's a tough one. Look, currently, we are halfway through a cycle. So I think the next Bitcoin halvening is 2024. So historically, where we are now, we're in like the 12-month bear market, so to speak. So beginning of 2022 to 2023, um, we've kind of seen this happen the exact same time in 2014 to 2015 and 2018 to 2019. So we, we at 2022 to 2023 are pretty much in the same area. And so I don't expect much positivity into basically from the beginning of next year, I think we start to turn because that's historically what it's been. It's been this 12-month kind of pullback. Um, whether we're bottoming out now and, and go across sideways, it's anyone's kind of guess. But I think this also massively plays on our macro outlook. So the Fed, if they ease off into the end of next year or end of this year, you know, crypto is pretty much acting like a tech stock at the moment. So we could see everything kind of recover back into 2023. And I think it could make for an interesting run in 2023, given that, you know, macro kind of holds out, it will perfectly line up with how crypto cycles are, how they've been doing in history. We will kind of perfectly line up to, to that narrative of a, a recovery and a run. Um, how Ethereum fits into this? Look, I think this merge is the first step in taking a viable network forward that can actually take on this decentralized financial system mantra that crypto has been, been shouting about. I think... You know, that's the whole idea behind crypto. And finally, we might actually have an asset that could hold some water with these big institutions. And I mean, we spoke about the merge and one of its potential, you know, benefits in the future is that it will allow Ethereum to scale. And you can't really take on the financial system without having a highly scalable blockchain. I mean, Ethereum currently processes, I think, 13 transactions a second which is nowhere near what a financial system needs. I mean, Visa does around 2,000, but it can handle up to about 65,000 a second. So, you know, based on this three, 13 transactions a second, you know, Ethereum really needs to scale up hugely if it wants to kind of be this new backbone of this decentralized financial system. And the merge kind of sets the groundwork and allows for further upgrades to take place, which Ethereum are predicting can do up to 100,000 transactions a second if everything goes correctly. Now, whether that becomes true or not, we will have to see in time. But, I mean, Ethereum's pretty good at, at delivering, uh, albeit maybe a bit late in time or, or delayed, but they do seem to deliver on what they, what they set out to do. So I think based on that, you know, 
we could see Ethereum really step up to become this backbone that everyone thinks it might be. And not only that, but there's also another aspect to this is that this merge does allow for Ethereum to become the green asset in crypto, right? And this is a huge debate around the world. This ESG um, investment is, is a massive thing in crypto's place, and it is actually quite substantial. Yeah, so I think people actually struggle to picture this, right? This 99.95% reduction. And put it this way, Ethereum's proof of work used 0.2% of the world's annual energy usage per year. I mean, that's just how much electricity these proof of work miners were using. It's actually quite astonishing. And from this transition to proof of stake, that effectively gets reduced to zero. Now, people can't really picture you know, the magnitude of this reduction, but it's the equivalent of taking you know, the height of Table Mountain and shrinking it down to the size of a ruler. Like that is the, what we are dealing with on a reduction level here. And keep in mind, if I have to carry on with this analogy, Bitcoin's mining equivalent energy usage would be the height of 16 and a half Burj Khalifas on top of each other. Now, you compare that to Ethereum's current proof of stake, which is the height of a ruler, you can kind of see the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum's energy usage post-merge. And this does one thing here, and it opens up Ethereum, as I said, to be the front runner in this ESG investment space. And this investment space is huge. I mean, it has $47 trillion worth, I think, of mandated funds worldwide looking for green investments. You take 1% of that and you put that into Ethereum, it's more than double the size of Ethereum currently is that. So there's huge area for opportunity here. So one, you get this green investment. Two, you get the possibility of scaling to become this decentralized backbone of, of the financial future. And I think that all kind of sets up for a very interesting 2023, given that where we are in the cycle is probably bottoming out um, based on history. And if the Fed does seem to ease off into 2023, we could be in for a prime setup, I think, for one, for Ethereum, and two, to see how DeFi reacts to this Ethereum change-up going forward. So my two main areas would actually be Ethereum and DeFi to look, to look at going forward. Do you think we're very much at the beginning of a, of a whole DeFi revolution where the, the, the kinds of products that you're going to see are fascinating? I mean, for example, Forex trading was, was a huge industry worldwide. You can now, uh, it's not very liquid at the moment, but you can do Forex between stable coins. You can trade options using uh, cryptos. There's all sorts of uses that you can think of in the existing financial market, which are being adapted and improved on in the crypto world. What's your take on that? Yeah, so I couldn't agree more. I think my idea of this is post-merge, if they can get some scalability into this, which they kind of picture in 2023 to start you know, sharding and trying to get their, their throughput up. Um, that's kind of coupled together with, you know, as I said, the screen investment, this low inflation rate. I think you're going to see DeFi kind of fly off this, um, especially on a scaling point of view. You've kind of got this backbone asset now that, you know, if tech or, or big corporate can't argue isn't green anymore, which was one of their massive arguments. So I think you're going to see a lot of funds and, and private equity funds start to flow into this, which, you know, you get more capital in, you can drive up, you can scale quite quickly, they can start to push on. And as you said, I think DeFi could easily start to become in 2023 this, this backbone that we finally thought it would be. Like, for all crypto's you know, great ideas, it's been struggling on one thing, and that's scalability um, on a blockchain that's big enough 
and and got a big enough valuation that that corporates can get into right there's there's a lot of scalable blockchains that are just too small a billion plus dollars i mean if goldman sachs wants to come knocking and invest in these things they're going to take the whole the whole system so i think ethereum is your your kind of main one because it's about 200 billion dollars worth and now we're finally starting to see these these groundworks get placed for you know scalable defi um and there's the the opportunities are kind of limitless with this and it's going to be really fascinating to see once it does the scale you know how your uni swaps how your forex as you say kind of gets built on top of this and and if you start to reduce you know transaction fees on this even more you you start to actually have a, an argument for a system that can take on you know your normal traditional finance right now that that system is by all means in crypto a little bit clunky a little bit slow and a little bit expensive but that's kind of the price you pay for decentralization and i think once we get scalability we can have decentralization with scalability and you could start to see a real case be put forward for this you know decentralized financial future you you believe that that we we're going to maintain this vision of having a decentralized network a decentralized crypto blockchain system i think it'll come hand in hand right i think you you're not going to get a fully decentralized financial system it's not going to really happen i think it comes hand in hand with centralization um you know you've got such big forces in centralized places that kind of won't allow this but you can allow for benefits of both systems right so i mean if you think about just on ramps into defi itself has to kind of go through a centralized payment party like a visa or or someone like that and um, those will still be there and they will need to be there because it actually helps the system um so i think people that believe in a completely decentralized future not going to happen people that completely believe in a completely centralized future i don't think it's going to happen i think you're going to find this fine balance between the two where basically the centralized system takes the benefits of the decentralized system and integrates it into into their system and i think ethereum's going to be the front runner for this right um i think they are the biggest decentralized kind of platform um that has the most growing on it i think they have over 46 or 47 you know decentralized applications that have over 100 million dollars locked in them i mean bitcoin doesn't have one so you think of it that way this is going to be the front runner there and now that it's green i think there's kind of no excuse for instos not to kind of get into this once instos do get into this i think you know they will help push ethereum into an area where it becomes beneficial to a centralized and decentralized system and kind of can help take on the whole financial system um with the help of as i said cfi i think that has to be part of it you can't you can't have this full decentralized system i just don't think that uh, the powers that be will allow for something like that Mm. A CFI just for people who don't know what that means that's centralized finance defi is decentralized finance so your centralized finance would be a a bank for example like standard bank where the the, the money is controlled by the management and owned by the shareholders decentralized is the idea of spreading this out over thousands and thousands of different people who have a, an interest and a stake in and and participate in that have i explained that well yeah perfectly and i, I mean just on that point i mean you think of a standard bank for example i think people would much rather you know have their money sitting with standard bank than having to hold that money themselves in a hard wallet right there's there's certain risks with these things that 
your average person just doesn't want to take that risk. And there's a huge kind of uh, push that I think where CFI will, or centralized finance will step in big time is in custody. Um, so allowing you to go out and interact with these DeFi assets while still having your assets custodied in a standard bank, would, that's an example of you know the best of both worlds right there. Um, because there's a lot of, of everyday people that go, oh, so if I lose my password on my thing, I'm, I'm done, right? I've lost everything. And that's a huge risk and it's not something that people don't really like. So if you could take the custody solution of a, of a, a CFI, a, a standard bank, and, and mix that with the opportunities that offer you yields in DeFi, I mean, you kind of see how this meshed DeFi, CFI world actually starts to look very attractive. Right. Okay, uh, a couple of quick questions. There's uh, one of the things I'm quite fascinated about is this thing they call the flippening. The idea that Ethereum will one day surpass Bitcoin in terms of market capitalization. Uh, right now, uh, Bitcoin's market cap, I think, is about $420 billion. Ethereum is somewhere around $200 billion. So it's a little bit less than half, which means Bitcoin dominance of the entire crypto universe is about 41% at the moment. And that's always quite a key measure of where we are in the cycle. Do you see this thing, the flipping happening, where one day Ethereum is going to be larger than Bitcoin? Yeah, so Kieran, this is a, a really interesting question, right? And one we kind of actually get quite a bit because, you know, everyone's interested in exactly that. Well, is there a possibility that Ethereum can overtake Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin's kind of been the leader since the start. Right. And we kind of look at these post-merge effects and you go, well, maybe, you know, could Ethereum kind of rival on this store of value inflation hedge space that's, that Bitcoin's been holding for so long? And yeah, it could possibly. I mean, it has a lower inflation rate now. It's much greener now. So it could maybe start to take on that area. That's one. And then two, if you had to look at, you know, some of the ways institutional investors would look at, you know, valuing these things. Um, they would kind of look at, you know, monthly revenues. Ethereum is nine times greater than Bitcoin in monthly revenues. You look at active developers, where are the, where's the talent going? Uh, again, Ethereum, six times as many active developers is the closest second place. You know, how many apps are built on top of this platform? It's a software platform. How many things are actually built on top of it? As I said, I mean, Ethereum, I think, has 47 apps that are over 100 million in locked-in value built on them. Bitcoin has none. Uh, and how much value is actually being settled on this blockchain every day? Ethereum, again, three to four times as much volume is actually being settled on the blockchain more than, than, a, than a Bitcoin. So if you had to look at it like that, you kind of look back and you say, well, hmm, why, why hasn't it already done that, right? I mean, based on these kind of these factors. And I think, look, Bitcoin is always going to be the safeguard, the first port of call uh, when you want to invest in crypto. And that's kind of the first mover advantage it has. But currently, if I have to look at it from an outstand, like from a, a zoomed out kind of point of view, and I, and I look at these things and I say, well, you know, lower inflation, uh, less printing, greener, more revenues, more developers, whatever it is, I can't have an argument to say that it won't happen. I think maybe the novelty of Bitcoin kind of keeps it there forever. But based on an investment case, I don't see why. Ethereum shouldn't flip it. Um, and that's kind of my view. It's, it's, it's up to interpretation of what the market thinks. I think, look, Bitcoin's still going to be the safe haven asset for now. 
we have to see how this merge goes out and how this plays out and if it actually starts working. Um, until we are proven otherwise that Ethereum can become this safe haven store of store of value, then I think Bitcoin will continue with that. But all the kind of factors are there for Ethereum to become that. It's just whether the people kind of start to view view them or view Ethereum as that. And if that view does and that belief changes that you know Ethereum is actually more sound money or more you know of a store of value, then I think you will see it flip it. Um, if that perception doesn't change and Bitcoin still holds its belief as the you know store of value asset for the crypto space, then I don't think you will. But you know, from an investment case, I think it's Ethereum has more use. From a flipping case, I think it all lies to perception of what people believe is the safest asset, because that will always be kind of the biggest. And for now, that's Bitcoin. Okay, Brett, final question. Uh, we've covered quite a lot of ground today, and, and it's great that you, you've taken us in very deep waters, I think, in, into the merge and Ethereum. I want to look at what trends you think we should be looking out for. You've mentioned the halvening coming up. Okay, so for people who don't know that, this is where the rate of issuance or the rate of inflation of Bitcoin halves, and it halves every four years. And the last time that halved was in 2020. Now it's coming up again in 2024. And usually you start to see the, the first green shoots of a bull market maybe about a year or, or, or 15 or 16 months before the harmoning actually happens. I guess that's one thing to look for. And then also how the market settles into this new Ethereum upgrade, the merge. What other trends are, and are you in agreement with me that those are trends to look for? Yeah, 100%. So those are pretty much my main kind of trends to look for, right? It's, as you said, we, we kind of at the point now in the cycle where at the end of this year, things should start turning. Um, historically, they have kind of turned at this point. And if this kind of lines up with a Fed, a US Fed easing off on rate hikes, um, we could be in for a very exciting 2023. That is the one trend. We've got to kind of see how the macro environment kind of plays out. Um, do we continue this kind of high inflation, low growth? Um, or does the Fed start to pivot and decide to, you know, we can't actually keep up with this this low growth, we need to actually start cutting rates again. And that's obviously going to be very bullish for, for the crypto space. Um, and that, as you said, kind of coincides with this bottoming, bottoming of, a, of a crypto cycle, um, which has historically been about this, this time at the end of this kind of year. And then, as you said, the merge, how does this actually play out? Does this asset become deflationary? Does this asset scale? If these two things happen, what does that effect filter down into DeFi? So I think Ethereum is a massive area to look at and its effect on the DeFi industry going, going forward. Right? It's, it's going to be interesting to see DeFi's ability to kind of grow and scale into this financial system if Ethereum kind of delivers on what it says. Um, so I'm kind of looking at that. And then finally, the one other thing I am looking at is, as we were speaking about earlier, the flipping. Will people's belief of what Ethereum is change because of its changing in its structure? And that is going to be fascinating to see. Like the argument for a lot of Bitcoin maxis was that Bitcoin was more sound money and more of a store of value because it had a lower inflation. That's no longer true. So do we see a market move its belief towards Ethereum becoming the store of value, this inflation hedge um, that also has 
a use case with regards to decentralized finance. That is going to be fascinating because then if that does belief does kind of flip over, we will see, you know, Ethereum seriously challenge the market cap of, of Bitcoin. Um, so these are all kind of fascinating little pockets that kind of need to come together to push crypto world kind of back into its, its, into its rhythm. We need the Fed to kind of ease off, match that with the end of this kind of cycle, match that with this new Ethereum belief um, and how it transitions into the DeFi space is going to make for a very, very interesting 2023, I think. Fascinating stuff. Brett Hope Robertson, thanks very much for joining us, Brett. I do want to get you back in uh, in a not too distant future to talk about something completely different, and that is Web3. <laughs> And what's this new internet, what it's going to look like? What was Web 1? What was Web 2? Web 2 is what we've got now, but how will Web 3 look different from that? And will there be opportunities to make money from Web 3? And that's, I know, is an area that you've been paying a lot of attention to. So I hope you'll come back and join us and discuss that in the future. Yeah, 100% will. Um, just shout and I'll, I'll definitely come on and, and give a couple of thoughts on it. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Kieran. It's been, as we said, it's been a while. and. Look forward to one a little bit closer to the time than last time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.